My name's Cutter Calloway, and I'm Assistant Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studio. Welcome to TV and Theology, an audio series in which we construct a theology of television to help viewers more fully engage with the power and meaning of TV. This season, I talk with filmmaker and Fuller alum Avril Speaks about the Netflix Marvel series, Luke Cage. We're starting our next episode with Avril's laugh because (laughs) it's lovely and I thought that's a good way we should frame every episode. We just got done talking about various issues of how Christians do or don't respond to or are or are not comfortable with different kinds of content and how we demonstrate some ethical patience with things for the sake of hearing from God in some cases, or even just hearing something that we need to hear in terms of who we are as people and living with those who are different than us. And kind of brings us to a question that I always get when I'm teaching anything, well, theology at all, but specifically with pop culture, television, film, music. And it's always an ethics question. This question of ethics comes up. And at least in the U.S. context, the sort of three biggies that people are concerned with are language, sex, and violence. Those are kind of the main things. So, you know, if it's Kendrick Lamar, his language would be of concern. Can any of his message be constructive if, in fact, it's riddled with this kind of language? Mm -hmm. But then the same thing with sex, especially in the U.S. Now, what's really interesting is Americans in general are kind of comfortable with violence. Mm. Like, they're okay with it, you know. Mm. And so, you know, Luke Cage has all of the above. Um, And, (laughs) you know, episode one starts with this sort of extended sex scene with Misty. But then we get up to, you know, episode seven and eight are kind of these pivotal moments in the series. And at the end of episode seven, we have the cousins, Mariah and Cornell talking under the looming visage of Biggie Smalls. And they get in an argument and she pushes him out the window and boom, it's a pretty brutally violent it's scene, brutal. right? And, you know, in terms of character and all this other stuff, story, it's it's important because this is when she kind of assumes the head of his operation. She finally kind of admits to herself she's a politician, but really she is who her family has sort of made her to be, even though she really does care about Harlem. And so did her cousin, so did Cornell, otherwise known as Cottonmouth. Mm-hmm. And Luke Cage, like they all really care about Harlem. They're taking these different routes and in some ways are really the product of their environment in that. But violence as a woman who makes television and a person that consumes television Mm -hmm. and as a person of faith, Mm -hmm. how do you think about just violence? What's its role, whether in this series in particular, and how do you navigate when and where it's appropriate or not for us to watch? Yeah, I mean, I think with all of these, like whether you're talking about sex or violence or language, there are some things and there are times when it becomes gratuitous. And it's like, what did that add to the story? You know, so like if I think about Luke Cage and I think about that scene in particular, because it goes on, you know what I'm saying? It's like she pushes him out the window and Mm -hmm. then there's more that happens after that. You know, and so I preface this to say, I think everyone has their own kind of limits of what they can and can't do or what they can and can't stomach. When it comes to violence for me, I'm I'm just squeamish. Like I I just get like squeamish about stuff. But for me, it's always story that comes Mm. first, you know, and if something gets that graphic that, you know, I just turn away. So I'm always thinking like, what does this add to the story? Mm -hmm. And there are times when 
I look at something and I go, we didn't really need that, yeah. you know, and it really didn't need to go that extra step. Like I said, she pushes him out the window and then there's more that happens yeah. when he gets on the ground. Did we need that extra part yeah. on the ground? Like, yeah. could she have just pushed him out the window and we've mm. been done with that? But at the same time, story wise, if you think about it, if we had a cut there and she mm -hmm. pushes him out the window, if we had a cut right there because she pushes him and then she's oh, and she yeah. just kind of walks away. Yeah. She could look crazy, you know yeah. what I mean? But there's another yeah. layer to her personality, like you mm -hmm. said, like it becomes this kind of turning point for her. And so the fact that she does this yeah. extra thing, you know, with the mic stand, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna give it away, but she's gone to another level yeah. of evil, yeah. if you will. Do we need to see that? Yeah. Or hear it, <laughs> or even, you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. It does become a thing. When it comes to violence, I do often ask myself that question. I mean, even for myself as I'm writing, like I think about when it comes to profanity, when it comes to sex, like, do we really need to see this? Like, what does this add by doing this? And it, yeah. yeah, I think it does become well, an important question. It's interesting for me. I mean, I'm totally desensitized, I think, to violence. And so I blame myself in some ways for creators of shows needing to do more or show more to get my attention. Right. Was like reminding me, oh, this really is violent, right? Because mm -hmm. other stuff, I'm like, oh, you know, and that's just my consumption of media. I mean, I think you're right on the character side of her, even, you know, pushing him out the window could also be like quasi-accidental. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And then it's like, she's intentionally like, no, I'm making this choice. And this, right. you know, I mean, I often, one of the things that I'll say, and I don't exactly, I know what I mean by this, but I don't think this is exactly the right way. I'm still tinkering with it. But as Christians, I think we need to find ways to be offended without taking offense. Yes. And that's just broadly in, in the world. But yeah. then specifically as we're interacting with different shows, media and culture, whatnot, that there's a way for us to acknowledge and note like, okay, like you said, that's over the line. We didn't need that or you didn't need to show it explicitly, you know, something mm -hmm. you could allude to it. But still, even in that, it's that posture of I'm not now immediately going, oh, you know, I've been scandalized, right. you know, and mainly because I formerly was a youth pastor and I'll tell the story a lot. I would meet high schoolers after school, just relationally, hey, how's it going? And I'd meet them at Starbucks across the street. There's this one large high school downtown in the city I lived in. And so it was a really convenient spot to meet and everyone would come and go. I'd maybe sometimes hang out for a while because they'd have different lunch times or they'd get released from school differently. So the teenagers would just descend upon the Starbucks and, you know, they were there all day. And if I so easily took offense at things, there is no way I could sit at that Starbucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kinds of things I heard those kids talk about mm -hmm. every day was far and away worse than anything you'll see on mm -hmm. any television show. And then what am I modeling then to those teenagers who are in my youth ministry of, right. you know, Cutter can't even be around this. They don't have a choice, right? right. They're there. Right. And so that's part of how I think about these things. But then also demonstrating some sort of ethical patience and coming to the end of saying, okay, was it worth what we just went through? You know, like you're going to bring me through all of this muck and mire. Is the payoff at the end justify all the other stuff? And sometimes the answer is no, not really, mm -hmm. you know, but we don't know until we actually get through it. Everyone's got their sensitivities. My other question when it comes to this show is specifically with violence, can you tell this story? So we got Christmas Addicts, we got Biggie Smalls, we got a bulletproof black man in Harlem. Can you tell the story without it being brutally violent? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there is violence and the response is violent, the actions are violent. And to me, at the end of episode seven, I think it is, you've got Luke and Misty, they're talking about, you know, you've got Luke the vigilante, Misty the cop who wants to play by the rules and, you know, bring justice because of this. 
It's this question of do we subvert the system or do we work within it? And really it's that question of violence. Mm -hmm. So she wants to respond to violence in a way that works within the system, that doesn't necessarily enforce through violence justice. Mm -hmm. Luke's saying the system's broke mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have this sort of power and I'm going to use it. Right. In the depiction of violence that this show has, and it's depiction specifically of violence against black people and then black characters responding either violently or not, what message does that communicate? What should we take away from it in terms of how it's dealing with our response to violence? And then maybe just your thoughts on, we're saying this show is raising questions about broader society. Mm -hmm. And so I see this as one of those moments where it's asking the question, we're depicting violence for you because this is a violent world. Like yeah. this stuff happens. Yeah. Now the question is, what's our response? And what I see in a lot of interpretations of culture, and especially from a white position is, we often want to, in a white Christian perspective even, is we want to encourage and applaud specifically people of color who want to respond to violence peacefully. Mm -hmm. We say, we want you to take the way of MLK, mm -hmm. right? Like here's the path in our resistance. But then we get Luke Cage and it's like, when he has to, he's responding in violence because he lives in this violent world where people have mic stands, you know right, I mean? Right. And that seems to be one of the questions the show's asking. And I wanna be sure I don't, as a white male Christian, too quickly land on the side of, it needs to be peaceful. And is there a way that we respond to this violence in a violent way that is right? How do we protest, I guess, in that sense, as people of faith, as people who are responding to violent, really racially charged violence mm -hmm. in that sense? Well, I mean, I do think that it's both and. Like, yeah. I think we need both. You know, you mentioned Martin Luther King. Even Martin Luther King's act of nonviolence was disruptive. Yeah. And so when yeah. people say, oh, why can't they be more like Martin Luther King? It's like, well, you don't want that either <laughs> no. because it was very disruptive. <laughs> people were very angry with <laughs> Martin Luther King. <laughs> like, it wasn't like people were like, oh, yeah, kumbaya. Yeah. Their people are marching. They're yeah. shutting down streets. No, it was <laughs> disruptive. Like, <laughs> that's why they did what they <laughs> did. I remember this one scene in the movie Selma when Malcolm X visited... Coretta Scott King, uh -huh. and he made a statement, something like, they'd better listen to King or else they'll have someone <laughs> like me on their back. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, we need both of those yeah. voices. And you know, people always talk about, oh, Malcolm X was so violent. He knew his rights, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, we're gonna demand our rights yeah. by any means necessary. Yeah. But I think yeah. you need both of that because mm -hmm. you do need those voices that are just like when you think about Ferguson, you think about Baltimore, all these cities who have had uprisings mm -hmm. and, you know, why are people rioting in their own neighborhood? Well, what do you expect them to do? Like yeah. they're angry. You want them to get on a bus and then go down to mm -hmm. Beverly Hills? Like what are they supposed yeah. to do? Where are they supposed to go? You know, it's that anger has been building up for years, not just with this one incident, yeah. <laughs> but for many years it's been building up. And so I think when we talk about violence, and, you know, kind of what's our response to that. All the same, I think it is important to have people who are working within the system and kind yeah. of know how to navigate that world. But I think that those people also have to understand why there is violence mm -hmm. and why people would react in a different way. And I think you have to be sensitive to that and you have to kind of speak to both sides of that. It's like, I remember watching a YouTube video of a woman. It was like a couple of businesses in Baltimore mm -hmm. right after Freddie Gray when they had the uprising in Baltimore. And, you know, these were business owners whose businesses had been trashed and yeah. you would expect them to be like, I can't believe these people like ruined my business. Mm. But no, their response was like, I understand. And yeah, it's sad. And this is my business and I've worked hard for this business, but I will rebuild. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have insurance. Yeah. I'll be able to rebuild this business. Yeah. You know, I've lived in this neighborhood for how many years? They took away funding for the community mm -hmm. center. And, you know, they kind of mm -hmm. listed all of these injustices that yeah. have been done to 
the kids living in Baltimore and to the people of Baltimore. Yeah. And they list it out. Like, this is what we've been fighting against all this time. And it's unfortunate, but this is what we have to deal with. And I think we have to kind of get to that point where we say, yes, it's unfortunate that there's violence, but this is the tension that we have yeah. and this is the reality and this is what we have to look at. And so now we have to look at this. You know, these are people who own businesses. We have to live here. Yeah. And so now we have to live in this yeah. and we have to deal with this in some kind of way. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, again, it's not that we've, you know, hit the nail on the head with our Superman Luke Cage comparison, but <laughs> it is that notion of, you know, you people, whoever are angry. And right now there's protests against the president elect that, mm -hmm. again, are racially charged because of the comments he's made, but are all sorts of collections of people mm -hmm. from all over. And mm -hmm. some of those demonstrations are turning violent. Mm -hmm. And I think the tendency, and that's the both and is good. And even the disruption, I think, is a nice way of thinking about it, that even peacefulness is a form of disruption. So mm -hmm. don't too quickly say, oh, you know, it's it's peace. So mm -hmm. because I think that is from, again, a privileged perspective, the fear that I will just say from my perspective is not so much is it right or wrong, because I think everybody says if you're being violently oppressed and you're given no other option, just mm -hmm. generically. So think about Braveheart. I like that. So <laughs> Braveheart, everyone's like, yeah, you know, William Wallace was in the right to gather an army of people to fight to the death against his violent oppressors. Mm -hmm. He was given no other choice, you know? Mm -hmm. And white Christians very easily baptize that. It's not just good, but a Christ figure, right? right? And the reason that it becomes difficult in this scenario is because now we're the ones who stand to be violently responded to, or we're the ones that are at risk of losing something. And again, I certainly don't want to be a person that says, yeah, let's go be violent. But I am looking for those spaces or ways to allow for what is a normal reaction to violent oppression and injustice over not just one incident, but over time that is somehow productive. Mm -hmm. Violence that's unproductive, I think, is what we're all against. But that's the definition that you see in Freddie Gray. I mean, like that's mm -hmm. unproductive violence. Maybe that's kind of what you're getting at with the destroying of a business. Mm -hmm. There's just stuff mm -hmm. that we can rebuild. Mm -hmm. These young men are never coming back, mm -hmm. right? So how do we destroy with a purpose? I don't know if that's the right. Well, it's how do always we... getting back to what's the root of that, yeah. you know, like what's the root of that? That violence. I don't think anybody sets out to, I'm just going to destroy for yeah. the sake of destroying. Like yeah. even, you know, even those kids in Baltimore, like I don't think yeah. they just, you know, were just like, we're just going to destroy our neighborhood. Who yeah. sets out to have that as yeah. a goal? Like that's not a goal. Yeah. But even if you think personally in your own life, like yeah. when you get angry about something, you take it out on something yeah. or someone. Yeah. Whoever is nearby, that's what you do. That's human nature. Yeah. That's what we do with human beings. So yeah, I think we always have to think about like what is what is the root of that? Like yeah. there is a root to that violence. And maybe we should have been paying attention to that root before yeah. we got to this point. But now we're at this point, And so now we have to deal with it. Yeah, this. maybe that's a better way of redeeming what I was saying in terms of like, I'm a proponent of violence. <laughs> no. but, but maybe step one and why a TV show is actually kind of helpful because what's lacking in that as you observe people responding in violent or destructive ways to something. The tendency is, well, I, I know nothing of that history, not just personal history, but like 
long, long history of injustice and violence. If I know nothing of that, and I live in a world where I don't have to think about that ever, it's almost impossible to have empathy for what they're going through and why they would respond. Mm -hmm. It's always like, oh, well, you know, it's just one person and it was an accident or it was, you know, whatever. I understand that it was wrong, but you know, it, it's an isolated incident. And it's like, no, it's not an isolated not incident. Isolated. This is long and it's hard to know that unless you have ways to form those sort of empathetic bonds where you start saying, oh yeah, if that was me, I'd be super mad too, mm -hmm. you know? So at least step one, the reason we would want to watch a violent television show that's addressing these issues is just to sort of start the process of forming empathy for those who are potentially unlike us. Mm -hmm. And that's me talking as a white man. That's where a Luke Cage is helpful for me of saying, there's a world of violence that exists that's real that I don't encounter in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And I need to understand that if I'm going to understand violence in the world today. Mm -hmm. Does that strike you as a, a decent way of thinking about it? Yeah, or am I... yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, again, we talked about this on an earlier podcast, but I think that's the beauty of film, of television, of story, Yeah, is that it does allow you to see that. It allows you to see something different or yeah. see something that you wouldn't otherwise see in your neighborhood, your daily life. You come encounter with people that you wouldn't normally and the beauty of television is that you get to kind of see sort of the ramifications of that. You get yeah. to kind of see that over yeah. time. You know, I know the creator of Luke Cage has talked about kind of wanting to pattern it story-wise after The Wire. Like you mentioned The oh, Wire yeah. and, you know, The Wire is very much like that. You know, you have five seasons that tell you, you want to know why there's drugs. Yes. You want to yes. know why people sell drugs. Well, we're going to show you this from every angle. Yeah. So now you're not looking at the person on the corner as like, oh, that's a terrible person that's just standing on a corner selling yeah. drugs to little kids. It's like, no, this is a societal thing yeah. that comes through and it affects so many areas of our society. It doesn't just start with the brother on the corner. Yeah. It has many other ramifications, yeah. but you get to see that through a show like that. And I think, you know, it's the same thing with Luke Cage. Like we get to kind of see this world of Harlem. You take someone like Cottonmouth, who was this mob boss and, you know, who's a deal, him and Mariah, you know, you get a sense of how they grew up, you yeah. know, and why they do what they do. So he becomes not just this kind of symbol of evil yeah. and of violence, but Come to find out, he was actually a quiet kid yeah. who played the piano. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And who has this whole other side of his personality, you know? But we get to see that. And so that violence has a story. It is story episode too. seven, and he's brought out and he has to shoot the guy. Yeah. And Remember the rule, family first, always. And right. he says, yes, ma'am. And I mean, like, can you imagine that? Well, yeah, a lot of people can. It's right. not even imagination. It's that's simply, it's simply what it was. Alive, yeah. And that... Yeah, all of a sudden, Cottonmouth is not a quote-unquote thug who's, mm -hmm. you know, just out for his own. It's, I've been given no other resources in life other mm -hmm. than this to make ends meet and to flourish, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we're going to keep talking along the lines of violence and how do we respond, but specifically then to how do you engage with these other stories and why is that important, whether it's because of women or women of color or violence or other, you know, cultural contexts and how we're responsible as viewers to make sure we see those. So that'll be our next conversation on the next podcast. So check that out and uh, we will see you then. You have been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu slash studio.